Um, number one, I'm, I'm grateful that you are here, and thank you so much for being here. Um, I, I want to just talk a little bit about the resurrection, Christ's resurrection. I don't have to whip myself up. I'm just excited that God saved me. Yeah, yeah I am excited. When you realize that he did not have to save you, but he chose you. Salvation is one of those, one of those things that it's sometimes hard to explain because you are involved, but not as much as you think. You know, God chose us, and I'm excited about his choice of me. Somebody might say, well, that's unfair. It's not unfair when you own everything and you decide what you're going to do with what you own. It's not unfair. Let's talk about the resurrection a little while because I want the resurrection, I want it to inform us to such a degree that the power of God has taken us over, as it were, and that we are so dedicated to Jesus and what he wants that our agenda is secondary or maybe even tertiary. It's not just the second, it's perhaps third on the list. I titled this message, Christ's Resurrection Victory, and, and I put in parentheses under that the guarantee. I would like for us to know that when you come to Jesus and you give him all that you are, he keeps you. He takes you and he keeps you. And it's not possible for the enemy to upend you, to take you from God. If the enemy could, and that, I know that's a, a presumption of so many believers. It's a presumption that the enemy somehow has authority or ability to deceive you from the God who chose you. I find that an impossible thing. I get into trouble for saying that because some people think that that's blasphemy. That's wrong. It's a wrong understanding of Scripture. But today we are celebrating Jesus' victory over the grave, which was an impossible thing before Jesus came. Everybody who lived died. Jesus is my hero. He is our hero. And he has guaranteed that death will not defeat you. Amen. Death will not defeat you. The grave will not defeat you. Hell will not have you because you have been born of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very core of our faith. As, as several have said, if Jesus had not risen from the grave, you and I would still be in our sins. We would be eternally lost. It is not only, as it were, at the, at the core of our faith, but it's indispensable to our faith. It can never, ever be minimized. If Christ did not rise from the dead, our faith is totally empty. And it is vain to think or believe in any of the scriptures. We might as well throw it all away. But we know 
that he did rise from the grave. And this is how you know. Not just because it's a, a historical fact. That's great. But you and I know that Jesus Christ rose from the grave because he gave us his spirit as an inner witness that he did experience a bodily resurrection. The Holy Spirit is our witness. I of, I've said in the past, often more than I do, do these days, that so often when I am reading the Word of God or someone is teaching or talking about something in Scripture, it's as though I had a front row seat to it. Sometimes it's so real, I, I almost, as it were, shake myself to say, don't become overly emotional. That is the Holy Spirit. He gives us witness. Somebody might be here today and you say, well, I don't have that witness. Well, perhaps you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not a, a condemning statement, but you can receive the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that when we believe what God has testified of, he will give us the Holy Spirit. That is, we believe in his son. Amen. In, in Corinth, there were people there who did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they called themselves believers. But they did not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul is, presents in this text that I'm going to read today, he presents three proofs to assure his readers that Jesus Christ indeed had been raised from the dead. See, being raised from the dead was just, as it were, unbelievable because nobody had done it. And, and some people thought impossible. Even some of those who walked with Jesus had wondered, is he really, I don't believe he's, he's uh, risen from the dead because I saw him die on the cross. They didn't understand it. So let's look at the reality of our faith in the risen Christ. Our, the reality of our faith is in the risen Christ. You know, in this church, we always talk about Jesus Christ. We're always talking about who he is, what he's done, and what he has done cannot be undone. That's not always heard. And there are people who don't know that Jesus can keep you from all of our mess-ups and our proclivities to do wrong. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to start in the first verse and we will sort of hurry along and get as much of it said as possible. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive. You receive the good news, the gospel that I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand by which also you are saved, right? So this is what Paul wants, to, wants us to understand. Actually, he wanted the Corinthians to understand, and we understand it as well, that you and I are saved by the preaching of the gospel. He says, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. And so that, this is some, for some people the caveat where they'll say, ah, ah, see there? It says you can believe in vain. But, but this is what that means. It means that there are people who believe in the sense that they give mental assent. They give mental assent. And so what Paul is saying, uh, that you and I do not have a salvation from mental assent. Mental assent is not biblical faith. 
So you don't just say, yeah, that sounds plausible. Let's do it. No. You know, the scripture says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So the demons do not have saving faith. The, the demons have mental assent. They agree that Jesus, that Jesus is God. They agree, they agree with that, but it does not save them. Assent means to comply with, give in to, or I did as I was told. So there are some people who, who they say they're safe. They just did what they're told. Raise your hand. Repeat after me. Blah, blah, blah. And so, but that is not where we are. Everyone in our sphere of influence should know who we are, whose we are, and why we are. Now, what does that mean? The scripture teaches us that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are his own special people. Why? That we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are a people group now, the people of God. The scripture says, who, were, who once were not a people. We were not a people. We were scattered, but now we are the people of God. There was, we are the people of God. So we are a people group, and the Holy Spirit declares that we are now a nation. That's a mind-blowing thing. Do you consider yourself, I belong to the nation of God. And so because of Jesus and because of his resurrection, you are now a part of the nation of God, the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Amen. Amen. So, so this day is very important to our, our life. It's important to our success. It's important to who we were. The gospel is the most important message that the church has ever proclaimed or could ever proclaim. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, that he died a, a death that was not his. Because the soul that sins shall die. So what Jesus did, he said, Dad, I will take the sin of the whole world upon me, and uh, I will die for everybody. Be and because the sin, or the sin that he took upon him was not his own, therefore the grave could not hold him. Jesus took our sin, went into death, and left it there. Yeah. Left it there. Got out of the grave. That's what God has done for us. The gospel is good news. It's not bad news. It wouldn't be good news if Jesus could only save me for a few months or a few years. It would not be good news. It would be bad news. So, but the gospel is good news. And so you tell all those naysayers that the gospel is good news. All those people who believe that, that somehow you were saved for a little while and you're going to be lost forever, just show them the cross. Talk about the empty grave. Talk about the empty grave. It is, you know, it's good to be involved in, in some social actions uh, for the betterment of mankind. It's good to be uh, involved in some of those things. Uh, there's no reason why these in involvements, however, should preempt the gospel. Why? Paul tells us that Christ died. I'm going to read it in a moment. Christ died. He died for us. He died as us. He was buried. I mean, that means put in the tomb, in the grave. He rose again, all right, and he was seen. These are the basic 
facts or historical facts of the gospel, and we must be firm in our proclamation. I know that people will say, some of them will say, oh, you're an ignorant person. You say, well, ignorant primarily means that I'm unaware of something. So I think that if I am ignorant because I believe in what I know and you don't believe in what you don't know, you are the ignorant person. I don't know if we should say that, but it might feel good for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, bears out what I just read. Paul says to the Corinthians, because they were believing that there was no bodily resurrection, so I want to try to get to this, the meat of this. Verse 3 says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. I received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And what he is saying is that he's speaking primarily here, or altogether, of the Old Testament Scriptures. He says, Christ uh, died, was buried, and he rose again. Where am I? Okay, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So he says the Scriptures predicted that Jesus was going to come, the seed of Abraham was going to come, and he was going to die for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so what Paul is saying is that the Scriptures cannot be broken. So in our in our goings and comings, we need to understand the scriptures cannot be broken. And this day we are testifying here in the service today, we are exalting Jesus Christ who rose from the, uh, the dead and we're saying the scriptures cannot be broken. We are not false witnesses of God. The scriptures cannot be broken. That's what we're saying by our uh, presence here today. And he was seen. And Paul tells us who he was seen by. He was seen by Cephas or Peter. Number two, he was seen by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Then verse 7, Paul says, after that, he was seen, number four, by James. By James. He was seen by James, his brother. His brother, uh, Joseph and Mary's uh, son, he was seen by James. That, that is so amazing to me. You know, I know that there are uh, some who believe that, that Mary remained a virgin the, the uh, her whole life. That's not accurate at all. It's not scriptural that she did have children. And uh, she had children. And, uh, and, and God blessed Joseph. You know what I always ask, I think about sometimes? My mind runs like this. It's... James and, and Judas and the others uh, of, uh, of Jesus' brothers and his, had some sisters. Can you imagine that forever they could say, that's my brother? Isn't that big? But you know something that's big too? You can say the same. That is big. That is huge. You can say the same because you have been born of the Spirit. That means that God is Spirit. So you have been born of the Spirit of God. So you too can say, that's my brother. So when James says, that's my brother, he says, mine too. <laughs> that's, this is all amazing to me. So let's keep re reading. And, and after that, he was seen by James. Then, number five, by all the apostles 
Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So Paul says, I was born a little late. I was a late baby, and uh, he was seen by me. So Paul gives us six witnesses to the to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so we're calling up the witnesses. When I'm preaching, and, and we preach around here, we call up our scriptural witnesses because this is what we know, that the word of God cannot lie. And so we call them to the witness stand, and, and we listen to those witnesses. So Paul says there were six uh, witnesses in this particular passage, and he could have listed the 500 brethren, but he listed them in one group. Are you still with me? And then he, he says in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. And this is something that Paul uh, dealt with his whole life in ministry, that he had been a persecutor of the church. It, he dealt with that. But it also, I believe, was one of those factors that drove him to do much more than all the other apostles. This is amazing. And the Holy Spirit let him, let him write it down that he labored more abundantly than all of them. Wow. Isn't it amazing that, you know, without the Holy Spirit, that's like empty boasting, right? It's not, it's not right to boast, you know, yeah, I'm the best preacher in the town, you know, or, or I can sing better than anybody, or, oh, man, you ought to see me play my instrument, you know. No. But that wasn't for that. It was, it was talk, he was talking about glorifying the grace of God. And this is what he said. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's by the grace of God. It's uh, everything that you and I accomplish, we don't accomplish because we have a genius IQ. We accomplish it by the grace of God. And you and I are here today listening to a message on Resurrection Sunday by the grace of God. We were able to drive here or however we came by the grace of God. It's because God is good, not us. Yes, God is good. So by the grace of God, I am what I am. Listen, now this is what I want all of us to say on this resurrection day. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It was not in vain. It was not a waste. But I labored more abundantly than they all. I labored more abundantly than they all. And listen, listen to this curveball. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Wow, I love that. Now, let, let's explain these uh, again just very quickly. Christ died for our sins is the theological explanation of this historical fact. We must know that this is a historical fact that Jesus raised. Many people were crucified by the Romans, but only one victim ever died for the sins of the world and rose again. Only one. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Paul does not base this on um, uh, of the scriptures on a feeling or a whim, but on the Old Testament scriptures. So I want to read some of that to you from Isaiah 53 because th this is the most, uh, one of the most pronounced uh, scriptures. So Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 10. Let's look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 10. And we'll read those somewhat quickly, all right? Surely... By the way, before I, I, I get, go from Shirley, this was predictive. This was predictive. And so the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 
predicted Jesus Christ and what he would go through. And it's amazing how to the, the, the last letter, the stroke of the pen, he carried it out. Let's read. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We are healed from our sin. Totally. This also applies to physical healing. But this is, we are healed from our sin. We are healed from our wandering away from God. So we are healed. Now listen, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. All. All have sinned and, and come short of the glory of God. All. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And you and I can't handle a little affliction without opening our mouth. Uh, there's nobody in here who can handle a little affliction, but he opened not his mouth. Well, he had to be somebody special. So he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was put to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He was our sin offering. And he was a willing participant, not like an innocent animal. He was a willing uh, uh, participant. Peter tells us that there was no deceit in him. Peter, in, in his epistle, there was no deceit in him. Let's, I want to read something else, and I will... I will quickly go back to uh, our, our text in 1 Corinthians. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, uh, let's read Matthew 12, 38 through 41. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. A greater than Jonah is here. And this is the reality of the resurrection. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, and let's look at verses 22. Let's look at, let's start at verse 22, uh, just, for, just for the sake of this particular reality. It says, for in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And there are those 
universalists who, who really misunderstand this particular scripture. They say in Adam all die, just that so in Christ all shall be made alive. And it doesn't matter what you do, how you live, you will be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ that is coming. Now that cancels out their belief. He's only coming for those who are Christ's at his coming, those who have been born again. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through how many I get through, okay? Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, Paul is answering this particular um, belief in Corinth that Jesus did not rise from the dead, that nobody rises from the dead. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Sometimes with Christians, we have, we have uh, position, doctrinal positions that cannot be proved by the word of God. And we, we, we accept those because we heard somebody say that. So Paul is refuting these kinds of positions. He says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. So Paul is saying, irrefutably, Christ has been risen, he has been raised from the dead. He is risen. In verse 16 he says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, empty, no good. And you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're finished. They have no hope. They have, they have no expectation of God. They have no trust in God. They're finished. He said, then also, um, if in this life only, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If, if in this life only we have an expectation of God through Christ, we are to be pitied. So what he's saying is that this life is not about you earning the most toys you can earn, getting ahead of everybody you can get ahead of. It's not this life. This life is readying us or getting us ready, preparing us for the next one. This is like, as it were, the qualifier. Not that we are qualified by our good works. You see, we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. So good works should follow you. They should, they should be in your wake. Wherever you are, there are good works there. This is what Paul is, is getting over to them. Now, I'll, I'm going to kind of wrap up very quickly here. Verse 20, he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And, and Paul knows because of what? The scriptures. He's not even gotten into his own testimony. He was on his way to Damascus, and he met the risen Christ. He did not know the Jesus, the physical Jesus, the Jesus that walked the earth, but he met the risen Christ. He had evidence. He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, 
by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam, and I love the way he goes back to the scriptures, to the holy scriptures that cannot be broken. If you have doubts or fears or concerns, go to the word of God because there is where your answer lies. Amen. Now, this is what he says. For as in Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. And that, then the universalists also make a big mistake there. They say, you see, it says all are made alive. But all who are in Christ shall be made alive. That's the, the inference here. That's what he's talking about. When Jesus rose from the dead on that third day, got out of the grave, that was a message to everybody who is in Christ. That's why we implore people, be born again. Come to Jesus. That's why we do that. The first Adam led mankind into death through sin. The last Adam led, not the second Adam, the last Adam uh, leads us out of death through righteousness. The first one led us into death through sin. The soul that sins shall die, but the last one led us out through righteousness. And I'm going to stop here and just put a little comma there. But let me just say that Jesus Christ now gives us the gift of righteousness. This is how it happens. You and I go to God the Father, and we say, Lord, God, I believe that Jesus is your son. Forgive me of all of my wrong. And God says, that's all I require of you, to admit that you were wrong and accept my son. And listen, this is amazing. And I'll give you eternal life. He didn't say, I'll give you an, uh, uh, an opportunity for eternal life. I will give you eternal life. And that's what this day is about, everybody. Don't live life on your own. Don't live life on your own. Don't live life by your rules. L live life by the scriptures, the holy scriptures. Now, I'm going to come back in a little bit, and I'm going to ask if anybody who heard this message, I want you to contemplate. Just think about it. If you're not saved today, don't run the risk of being eternally lost. I want to be pretty bold here in this statement. God is offering you everything. All he asks you to do is admit that you're wrong and, and accept Jesus as his son, as his sin cure. That's all he asks. And he'll give you everything for that. I'm going to come back after a while and we're going to ask you to receive him. Sister Stephanie.